0: So as we have discussed a little bit, and for those of you who are new, uh, this epistle, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Corinth is in the isthmus there, and you can, on a clear day, you can probably see Athens from there. It's between two seas, the Aegean and the, yeah. Anyways, uh, it's a port city, and so you got a lot of sailors and tradesmen, a lot of commerce going in and out of the city. They had an enormous temple to Aphrodite. Uh, Venus in the Roman god world, um, in the Greeks it's Aphrodite, Athena, and all kinds of things. But in this city, this temple that was built was dedicated, and it was enormous, and it had a, a, a thousand consecrated temple prostitutes that would go into the city and ply the the consecrated duties of. though so it's some you know they would they would sleep with sailors and bring the money back to the temple to continue to funded. And in the Greek world, they celebrated vices, because anything that controlled you had to have a power of a god or a goddess, and so they named it. So if you, you, you were addicted to alcohol, you weren't addicted to alcohol, you were just worshiping in the Roman world Bacchus, who's the god of alcohol, right? So they just deified the things that possessed them and had control over them. Well, in this city, this city was controlled by Fornication, and, and it was rampant because the thousand temple prostitutes that were consecrated that would ply their trade, every woman that called Corinth home, every woman in Corinth, two times a year, had to be one of the thousand temple prostitutes that were consecrated to go into the city and ply their trade. That means every wife and every daughter uh, went in to sleep with any man that uh, came into Corinth. And, and they didn't think anything of it. They weren't, they weren't immoral. They just they, they they were amoral. There, was, there were no morals. They, they didn't think anything of it. This is normal. Everyone's grown up doing it. And, and you, you've got bestiality, you've got, you've got homosexuality, you've got fornication, adultery, and folks are going, what are all those? We'll go over them because Paul covers it. And it was it was baffling to this church at Corinth because everyone was raised in this capacity. And now Paul gets a letter with all these questions that he's supposed to answer for them. The first thing he has to do is defend his apostleship because some guys came in saying, oh, Paul didn't know anything. He didn't know what he's talking about. He's not a real apostle, blah, blah, blah. So Paul spends the first portion of the letter defending that and doing a remarkable job of it. But then he goes to answer the questions that they have because the people that came in tried to mess with him. And Paul planted it and he's going to water it and protect it. He's going to take care of this church. So he's answering these questions for them. And the questions were good because they had some serious problems in this church it was a church that put the fun in dysfunction. And you think about it. You planted a church in, in a city that makes, you know, San Francisco look like, you know, an Amish village. <laughs> this city was, was the, the most vile imaginable. And, and these folks have no concept of morality. Now they've come to Christ, and they don't even know the process of a family. And so Paul's answering these questions like it's the first time he's dealing with this stuff. And they're like, okay. And he doesn't even like skip over, he he goes right into it, which is what we're gonna do today. (laughs) So the the temple prostitutes, every female in the city, um, this is how they were raised and what they were raised to believe. They were very sexualized, everyone was. The men were as well. It was a city that even though you didn't have the internet, it was inundated with pornography. All of the pottery that you would find of this era, and I'll show you one briefly, and I have to go through it quick because someone's going to write me a letter. Uh, The pottery itself, it depicts it. It's just pornography on the pottery, and you can see English exhibits of pottery from these cities. I mean, you look at uh, Pompeii, you know, when it was covered in ashes after the eruption of Vesuvius. That city had male genitalia pointing to, you know, places to go. The, The city was a mess, and you wonder how why did Vesuvius blow up and cover it? I don't know what happened. Uh, <laughs> Corinth was this way. And now there's a church there. And these people are, are new to Christ and they're like, well, what do we do with this new life? And that's for all of us here. You know, we, some of us never even, you've know, never been a part of a family. You, you don't have to raise kids. I mean, there's all kinds of questions. And what does this all mean? And how does it pertain to my life? And Paul is so patient with them but there's a temple prostitute. Now, this is a, a depiction from real piece of pottery from the time. There it is real quick. And you go, oh, no, there's a woman's breast. Keep moving. There, skip by that real fast. Um, and trust me, that, that was super. That's G, like PGG. Uh, the pottery, that you, you, don't, you don't want to see it. All right? It's, it's, like, it's like the uh, California educational, sexual educational curriculum. I had to throw that in, I don't know why, I just had to. So Paul goes back, in the, so we started in, in, in chapter seven, but in, in, in chapter five, it's telling, he's already defended his apostleship, and now he starts to answer their questions. And he deals with something that had been told him, and this is baffling to him. So chapter five, verse one, he says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality, the word translated fornication, which is better translated porneia, uh, where you get the word pornography and I'll cover that in a moment the, the, the meaning of it it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you meaning the church and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the pagans in the city of Corinth you guys are, are more, more vile than the city how, you, how did you do that? I thought that they had reached the apex of <laughs> you're a tough crowd and he says, it's not even named among the Gentiles, what you're doing. In, in the church, it's been reported to me, the man is sleeping with his father's wife. And by the way, number one sought pornography right now on the internet. Sleeping with a stepmom. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, how do you know that, Pastor. We'll cover that later. <laughs> it's interesting that you you even, have, you even have employees of the pornography industry seeing the danger of the incestual depictions that, that, that they're driving and the destruction of what it's doing to the culture. And they're like, yeah, I am in the industry, and this is creepy. And at church exceeded Corinth. And Paul's like, you, you've got a man in the church who professes to be a Christian sleeping with his father's wife. He says, and you are puffed up about it. You're acknowledging how, how open you are. How tolerant. You're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For indeed... As absent in body, but present in spirit, have I already judged as though I were present? I've judged him who has done this deed. And he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, meaning I'm there in spirit, I'm not there in physical presence, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. You're celebrating your tolerance and your openness to this misery. That's not good. It's just, it's not good, Paul says. Do you not know that a little leaven, leaven is the yeast that you put in dough to make it rise? And it's a microscopic organism and actually, the leaven itself that causes the bread to rise, that, that, that's just gas. It's flatulence from the little organisms. And you're like, this sourdough bread is so good. <laughs> now you know it's sour. <laughs> there you go. Where were we? The Bible depicts leaven as sin because it's just gassy and worthless. And, and, and do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened for indeed christ our passover and he reflects on something they probably don't know but the longest running family meal in world history depicting the last of the 10 plagues which is the angel of death and it would pass over the homes that were covered in the blood of the lamb but if the 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 if the door wasn't covered in the blood of the lamb the firstborn in that household would die and it's a depiction of christ and it still celebrates, this Passover meal still celebrates what the Lord did. To this day, it's the longest-running family meal. You were once slaves, you're now free, and God did it. Don't forget who you are. It's a profound statement, and Christ is that Passover. He, he is this, and he, and he is our Passover. And he was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, no, no yeast in this, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness. Let's not go back to the old ways. He says this but with unleavened bread of two words, sincerity and truth. The word sincerity is sincera. It means without wax. You're like, what a stupid definition. Not in. The Greeks were the first culture to celebrate the human physique because they realized that man was significant in all of creation. And they began to celebrate the marvel of man. And, and so they're, they're, the, the, the work they would do in, in making these figurines of the human body and, 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 a, and a Greek athlete competing in the Olympics, they were unequaled. And they would spend years with, with white marble. And you're getting down to the, the last part of it, is it, it. It's almost as though this, 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 this statue is going to take the next step. It looks so alive. Michelangelo would be enamored with what they did and he would follow up with this when he would paint the Sistine Chapel. And so you see this and they get to the last part of it and they're just touching it up and, 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 and the, the sculptor hits something and it creates a fissure and it breaks and the nose comes off. Four years of work gone. Worthless. You just, you're. And what they would do is they would take wax and they put it in with a little bit of the marble dust and they put it back on it didn't even look like anything broke and they'd sell it and you would take it home and you put it in this prominent place in your home and the sun would rise (laughs) and this adonis featured creature man knows it just (laughs) hi how are you (laughs) and and you you were you were cheated they weren't honest. And so sincera, the, the, the sculptors would put in their window sincera without wax. We, d- we don't use wax here. And the Lord is saying these two words, sincerity and truth. The other idea of sincerity is purity, genuineness. Just, just, be, just be who your dog believes you to be. <laughs> okay, yeah, seriously, I got Dutch. I... I, I, I'm going through like the worst season of my life and he looks at me like, you're amazing. <laughs> I have, I, you've been gone like a week and I, I'm, I, dog years, I don't live long. It's been like you're gone for three years and I am so happy to see you. <laughs> I'm just so happy to see you. And, and dogs, dogs believe in you and they love you. I mean, they, they love you. You put your wife and your dog in the trunk of your car and leave them there for an hour. You open it up, you'll see who really loves you. <laughs> Joke, I've never done it, never intend to. <laughs> but, th- but this idea of, of be who you are, be who you are, and, and that requires something, that requires truth. And, and the Lord uses an interesting word when he uses the word truth, Um. Alethia. it's objective truth. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What is true in any matter under consideration, truly in truth, according to truth, of a truth, in reality, in fact, certainty. What is true in things uh, uh, pertaining to God and to the duties of man, moral and religious truth, and the greatest of latitude. It's the idea of a rational God, allowing His universe to be understood. Where you would have Sir Isaac Newton, one of the, one of the greatest scientists of all time, was 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 moved by the idea of discovering the universe God had given, that had rationality to it, and absolutes, and it was governed by 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 truth. And there was, the, and truth could be made known and as aristotle would say the unexamined life isn't worth living and they would be in pursuit of truth and they would have ways of testing to see if these things are true whatever's true whatever's pure whatever's noble meditate on these things and yet now we have abandoned truth for feelings yeah i don't i just i just don't i just i feel like you're you're mocking me well i i am mocking you <laughs> i don't care how you're feeling and the people say truth doesn't care about your feelings. There's a newspaper in town called The Guardian. People think I run it. <laughs> I don't. People think the church runs it. It doesn't. It is a community owned and operated not for profit paper folded by folks and they do use our building and they say it's all church members. It's not, you just show up if you want to fold. You realize they come from everywhere. And also, people think I live in Phoenix, I don't. I don't know where that rumor came from. (laughs) A lot of rumors, but we'll cover those later. The point is, The Guardian, um, I remember they came and and they they were using our facility and I said, listen, um, we're supporting you in this capacity, but know this, if something ever happens here that's detrimental and awful You report it. The only reason you're here is to report truth. You see, our founders gave us the freedom of the press to report truth, and the pulpits are to proclaim it. And and, and if the truth hurts, it doesn't matter. Still do it, because it's necessary. It's necessary for a culture and a community to know what the truth is. And so that was my charge to them. Even if it's something bad about me, do it. I have never asked for anything from that. I don't even know that they've done any articles on us. And if they want to, fine. But the, 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 the goal is truth. And, and Paul says, for the, for the sake of, of the culture and the community, if you want to see restoration, these two things are necessary, sincerity and truth. Sincerity and truth. Be who you say you are. And pursue truth. Truth. And then Paul goes on to write. He says, "I wrote to you in my epistle," and we don't have that epistle, by the way. We don't know where it, where it went. He says, "I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people," and they immediately this pendulum thing. Uh, you know how pendulum works. It, 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 you hit it this way, it just goes that way, and you want to find the, the zero position, but it's like bam boom, bam boom, uh, right boom, left no, oh, and that's politics. Ah, 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 ah. And we just want to be in the sweet spot. Just stop hitting us already, you know. <laughs> that would be a good illustration, didn't work. <laughs> Paul says, I wrote to you in the epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. So immediately, they, they just go just way to the right. He says, I did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world But now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother. If you're professing to be a Christian who is sexually immoral, covetous, an idolater a reviler or a drunkard or extortioner, don't even eat with such a person. So I get beat up because um, I have uh, Rick Grinnell on the podcast who is a a married gay male, uh, highest ranking official in the previous Trump administration. And if Trump wins again, he's gonna be the uh, national security uh, yeah, he'll be, yeah. Secretary, Secretary, yeah, Secretary of State, Secretary of State, excuse me. He'll be the Secretary of State. That, that controls all the three-letter agencies. Uh, and, and then I get letters because people are upset that uh, we would, you know, as I, you've heard me say before, that we would, we would feature as a keynote speaker at a pastor summit, um, atheist slash agnostic, Dr. James Lindsay. And they went through and they were saying, you're not even supposed to keep, keep company with them. Hmm. This passage couldn't be more clear. <clears throat> Dr. Lindsay isn't purporting to be a Christian he's not even pretending he's in pursuit of truth and he's exactly who I'm supposed to be hanging out with and, and because if if this isn't what we're supposed to be doing we're in the world but not of it they were thinking this place is so messed up and, and Paul said we're not to keep company with the sexually immoral we can't live here we gotta go to Montana and, and do a gated community with an AR-15 and some canned goods. And then we're gonna do a commune. That's what we're gonna do. And, and, and Paul's saying, no, no, no. Yeah. You, you need to be in the world. You go, yeah. You don't have to participate in what they're doing, but you gotta be a part of their lives. And if they don't profess Christ, hang out with them. You go where you're not loved but needed and leave when you're no longer needed but loved. And those are the folks that you go and hang out with. That's what you do. And, and Paul said, that's how you reach the world. He says, but if you're going to profess to be a Christian and you want to remain in the church and you are deep into this mess, the Bible says I can't judge those on the outside of the church, but I can judge within the church. I can't judge unto condemnation, but unto identification. If you're telling me that the Bible says we can judge for fruit, bear fruit in accordance with, with repentance. So if you're telling me you're an orange tree, I want to see some oranges, right? Yeah, you okay. <laughs> so as Christians, I, uh, you know, I, I'm all in. You know, I, this is my life before and I've, I've come. Is there sincerity and truth in what you're saying? Because we're going to spend time together and we're going to see it because, you know, all things are revealed over time. And usually people don't like you to get into their personal business, but when you're family, <laughs> that happens, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and so... Um, that reveals itself. And, and Paul said, this, this guy who's sleeping with his father's wife, he's got to go. And what does that mean? Paul said, Hand him over to Satan so that he, the, the flesh can be destroyed, so that his soul might be saved. What does that mean? It's real simple. Um, you all know I have five kids, four homegrown, one grafted, my middle child, youngest daughter. Natasha, we adopted from Russia when she was 12. She didn't, she didn't know the Lord, didn't know Christ, um, didn't speak English. Uh, she had been sexually molested and abused. Her aunt was a prostitute. We didn't learn any of this till later, but she, she had a rough go. She gets into her teens and she goes off the reservation bad. Like, sweetest girl. And there was, there was sincerity in her, but she was also super good at lying. Well, no, she wasn't, because I was better when I was younger, and I figured out, you know. And I told her one time, I go, of all the five kids, you're the only one I'm equipped to raise. The other kids are like aliens in the house. It, Natasha, you're me. I've always been meant to be your dad. And I always say she's Michelle's largest baby and longest delivery. You know, 12 years and over 100 pounds. So, so I, <clears throat> she comes home one night after a, a drunken revelry, and I, I'd, I'd had enough. And this had been after a few months of you know, late nights, and it'd be Saturday night going into Sunday morning. I have church, in and uh, she's not home. Michelle says, you need, to, you need to go get her. I'm like, you go get her. I have to preach tomorrow. Because <laughs> I'm very important. And she said, no, you need to go get her. You're her father. I go, you're her mom. I mean, I, why do I always have, you're her father? Michelle's so right, and it's irritating sometimes. And I would drive to the house, wherever she was, to go pull her out with some other knucklehead guy. And I'm, I'm just telling the Lord, this is getting annoying, God. I remember one time it was a Marine who was at the door. I remember looking at him, wearing his T-shirt. I go, go, go get my daughter. And I said, by the way, semper fidelis means always faithful. You're a disgrace. Now go get my daughter. And the the guy guy could have beaten the tar out of me. wasn't smart. And I remember thinking to myself, this is getting annoying, God. And the Lord says, why is that, Rob? Because I'm having to pull her out of places. The Lord said, I I never complained when I pulled you out of those places. (laughs) Natasha was a gift from the Lord to allow me to see my sin. And the sin's only revealed by the law. And all of a sudden, I I start to realize my sin looks worse on her than it did on me. But now I realize, gosh, Lord, I never understood what extent you went to do what you did. It gave me a lot of grace with her. But finally, after a while, I turned to her because she had come home and and I just said, this is not a hotel. Uh, This is a home. And I'm not going to subsidize your life. You you know what we believe and what we stand for. And sweetie, you're experiential like me. And I get that. So I'm gonna let you go do that. You're free. And this, you no longer live here. You're no longer bound by the rules. You don't have to worry about us. You're free. Just go have at it. Find whatever it is you think is better than God out there. Go do it. And the last words I said to her when she drove away is if you find anything better than, than Jesus, come tell me. She tried. And if it existed, she would have found it. But the point is, the flesh... Turned over to evil was exhausting because the Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season, but the end therein is death. It's exhausting. The way of the transgressor is hard. And when you're not covered by being subsidized, all of a sudden you realize, you know, sin really isn't profitable. And then she came home. That's what God does. He brings us to the end of ourselves, and that's where we find Him. And he pours in his. He reduces us to a minimum that he can pour in his maximum. And so that's the idea of turning them over. And then God says to the church uh, through Paul in chapter six, and I've got um, 17 minutes. And it, watch me do this. Yeah. Because of the legalism of this pendulum where paul writes the letter and says don't don't have anything to do with sexually immoral people then they all said they they're not even hanging out with anyone in the, in the city paul's like okay you guys are they, they go well, but then what rules do we follow because we need rules it's so important because it's scary out there and we want to do what's right and paul says look christianity is not a wheelbarrow full of rules on a tightrope Scared to death of a capricious God waiting to smack you along the head. He wants righteousness. He wants purity. But he also gets, he also understands that this is a process. And and he's he's merciful and gracious. We don't continue in sin that grace may abound, but he allows grace so that we can back away from the edge. But he he also knows that you're gonna have to figure it out. And this is what's so beautiful. The law doesn't save but it does preserve and it points to Christ. Have no other gods before me. You'll have no idols. You don't take the Lord, your na- God's name in vain. You, you honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. You honor your mother and father. You don't murder. You don't steal, right? You don't, oh, you don't bear false witness. Uh, oh, you don't commit adultery, don't covet, and then you don't covet. Yeah, you don't bear false witness, then you don't covet. That's the Ten Commandments. That's the moral law. That's what allows us to see that sin is sinful. Allows us to see how a culture survives and people do well. And and Paul, Paul says, then 430 years later after Abraham was righteous, God gives the law, and that was the Ten Commandments, and then from that comes all the civil law, and he says, listen, the law doesn't save you, though. Well, then why do we need it? Because it preserves and helps with the community. Helps us to get along. You need to know what's right, you need to know what's wrong. He says, but you're not saved by it. Which is kind of cool, because Christianity is different from every religion in the world. And this this is what makes it so significant. Every religion in the world is man trying to reach God by what he does or doesn't do. Don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those who do, you know. you just. You're trying to obtain perfection. And, and that's why I love the word sin because it, it's, it's, the, it's, it's an archer's term, the sin distance. So the bullseye's perfection and the arrow's here. And, and how, how, you can't hit that bullseye. You'll never obtain perfection. It just, it doesn't work. And Christ, Christianity is so different from every religion in the world because God moves the bullseye to where our arrow is and he imputes his righteousness to us. You're like, wait a minute, really? Yeah, you've been forgiven, past, present, and future. I've cast your sins as far as east is from the west to be remembered no more. There's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What do I do now? Well, you flee sexual immorality so, 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 so that I can be saved? No, 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 you're already saved. It's, it's not like, you, this is, you're not, you're not observing the law out of obligation but out of adoration. <laughs> it, it's a joy, it, it, it helps your community. Oh, um, can I do this? But how far is too far? And, and okay, now we're getting into it. Well, write all the laws if you want to do that. Well, I, I did that but I, I, I need to know the boundaries. Paul says, let me make it real clear for you. And this is what he says in the first sentence of, of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. He says, Listen, all things are lawful for me. How's that? What do you mean, all things? All things. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. The return on investment on some of these things is not good for you. But listen, I, I, I'm, I'm free to do them, and it's not going to hinder my get out of hell free card. Because I have, I have been saved by what Christ has done. So everything's lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. Not all things are profitable. And I will not be brought under the power of any of it. See, what you're going to do is, is you're going to do what the Greeks have done. You're going to deify the things that possess you. And you're going to be brought under the power of these things. You're free to do it, but you're going to find over time that they own you. And he says, because they were having arguments in the church over food offered to idols. And and some of these legalists would come in and go, no, no, no. That was offered. You can't eat this. That was offered to idols. Yeah, but it's 50% off the stuff they're selling at the supermarket. (laughs) Why would would you subject your family to something that's been offered to pagan deities? Because it's really good and cheap. And they're arguing over this. And, and, And Paul just cuts to the chase with the idea of sincerity and truth. He says, listen, food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food. God will destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Listen to this. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise, up, uh, raise us up by his power. He says this, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Interesting, he said, your body's not your own. And we began with chapter seven that said, wives, your body belongs to your husband. Husbands, your body belongs to your wife. And then we see before that was ever written, God says, well, you all belong to me. Um, And when he says, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, and and then it says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Prior to setting the structure of the family, he says this, submitting, uh, both of you submitting to the Lord. So we both submit to the Lord and then God sets the directives. And this is what he does here. And he says, listen, all things are permissible, not all things are profitable. You don't want to be brought under the power of any of it. But it just, it just requires two things, sincerity and truth. Why are you doing it? And, and this is very important for Christians. Very important for Christians. My daughter told me to, to tell folks in advance what I was talking about so they can remove their kids and I didn't and now I'm gonna go deep with it. So uh, you have any kids, remove them now. Yep. 20 seconds. The people who have the best sex are folks who connect spiritually, emotionally, and physically because sex is a gift from God as an expression of intimacy. Now, the, the, the folks in Corinth, it, it had been so warped for them that, that, that they thought everyone is going to be celibate. Don't even touch a woman. I'm like, dude, that's, that's why they become a Jew because they said you couldn't you couldn't eat bacon. I thought you'd laugh, but... That, so so they're, they're, they're going to the extreme and they're saying, don't even touch a woman. Celibacy. Flee sexual morality. The first thing they think of is a vow of celibacy. And God, God, God gave us this expression. It, it's a gift from him. And you're like, what what are we allowed to do and not to do? All right, we'll do this real quick. Let me do this. Why would the Corinthian Christians suggest complete celibacy, which is what they meant by a man not touch a woman? They probably figured that if sexual immorality was such a danger, then one could be more pure by abstaining from sex altogether even in marriage. The idea that marriage was a less holy state than celibacy uh, naturally led to the conclusions that married persons ought to separate. And it soon became uh, to be regarded as evidence of eminent spirituality when such a separation was final. And and God, God didn't want that. God said, be fruitful and multiply. If you're not together, you're not gonna be multiplying. And 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 I, a man will leave his mother and father, be cleaved to his wife, the two shall become one flesh, you're naked and unashamed. What does that mean? It's really simple. This is a gift where you get to enjoy each other. And it's gonna require two things if you want to have it really special. Sincerity and truth. And, and your body's not yours, it belongs to your spouse and vice versa. And you don't come home, and you get to the door. And, and I was thinking of this. Paul says, nevertheless, because of sexual morality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. In the light of the danger of sexual morality, even in the presence of, of the Corinth and our own culture as well, it is appropriate for a husband and a wife to have each other in a sexual sense, okay? It's okay. And you come home and, and we have been inundated in the airways with everything sexual because sex sells. And its fourth most intense drive of a male adolescent is the sex sex drive, you know, it's air... Water, food, sex. Sex is the only one that you you, you you can do without, not die. First three are very important, but most of them are like, "Well, I'll give it up to have that." Okay. Why did God make that so intense? Because He wanted us to realize we're serving one another, and in serving one another, you find sincerity, intimacy, and truth. It's a fascinating gift from the Lord, but it requires that you are committed. And you render to each other the affection that's due them. Uh, You you don't walk through the door and go, woman, I'm home. (laughs) I'm I'm the head of this house. I'm top dog. I'm top, top dog. But I've been neutered. And I remember early on in, in our marriage uh, with the kids and I'd get to the door and I could hear the chaos on the other side. And I had a long day and I, and I knew exactly what Michelle was looking like. In the same clothes that she woke up in. Only there was vomit on it and you know her, her hair was disheveled. Uh, And I could hear the kids and the intensity. And I get to the door. And I'm going to go in there. I've I've been inundated all day with all these imagery. And, uh, you know, I want to go in and find Mrs. Cleaver. You know, all dressed up. Hi, honey. I've got your dinner waiting. (laughs) (laughs) It took me a while to realize when you stop at the door, you don't go in thinking what it is that you want. You go and thinking, what does she want? I, I, I want to serve her. And he just said, Lord, how do I love this woman in a way that, uh, how do I render to her what is due? And then I realized how to be really, really sexy. You, you run the vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Do the dishes. It's a tough one for me. Took a while. Change a diaper. (laughs) And all of a sudden you realize as you're serving one another in sincerity and in truth, this intimacy takes on a process that when you get to the time where you have time to have an expression of what it is you've been enjoying in the service of each other, it is deep and profound and precious. But if you spend your life in deception, inundating yourself in the pornography of the world, and you come home to use the person on the other side of the door as um, an outlet for your deception, that doesn't last long, and your family implodes. God wants sincerity, purity, and truth. And guess what? Other than adultery, which is sleeping with another man's wife or a woman sleeping with another uh, woman's husband, or fornication, which is sex outside of marriage, or homosexuality, which is sex with the same sex, or intercourse with animals, which is bestiality. And this is all defined uh, when, you, when, when Paul wrote this, and uh, Demosthenes in his writings described Corinth, and this, this is the picture of, of sexual immorality that Paul s- sets up. In Leviticus 18, you don't have sexual intercourse with relatives. Uh, you know, your family tree needs to branch. You don't have sexual uh, relations with a divorced man or, or a woman where it's not resolved, that, and that's, that's in Mark. And other than that, with the exception of idolatry, which would be maybe tantric stuff, everything else is a go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, see, yeah, yeah. And, and, the, and, the, and the joy of it is it's sincerity and truth and it's really, really good when you're honest. And, and, and I love, and I, I, I did a first service. I'm not going to let you down and I'm going to get in trouble for it, but it's so much fun. I love the innocence of it. Michael's 20 years old. His, his new bride is a year older, I think. He, <laughs> he called us on his honeymoon. He's laying in bed next to his new bride. And it's a FaceTime call, and he calls his mother, Michelle, my wife. And he goes, "Mom, sex is so much fun." Now you, you all think that's weird. I did too. Uh, but the more I thought about it, the innocence of that, the innocence of that, it's, it's exactly what God intended. It just makes it so enjoyable. But pornography takes on brutal pictures and depictions of of pain and abuse because you have two people engaged in an act that is supposed to express intimacy and neither of them knows each other. And they just use each other as objects and they do whatever they need to do for self-satisfaction. They discard it and move on. And the way you treat others is the way you feel about yourself and it leaves the world empty. Empty and soulless. And then God comes in and says, All things are permissible. You can have fun, but all things are profitable. Keep these things in mind sincerity and truth. And you render, you rendered to your wife the affection due her. And and wife rendered to your husband the affection due him. And then we'll conclude as we've started with the reading of these passages. Do not deprive one another except for consent at the time because people thought they were so special that they, well, we had, you know, honey, I'm, I'm not going to have sex for five weeks because I want to pursue the Lord in a greater capacity. And, and you know, the wife's like, uh, yeah, you didn't check with me and you happen to possess the body I own. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, the Lord owns it too. And he didn't tell me that you were doing that. So no, we're not doing that. I, I don't care how you want to be a poser. And whatever, If you agree to do it together for a purpose, that's great because the two will become one. But if you're playing one another and it's manipulation, there's not sincerity and there's not truth. It makes marriage so much more special when you can do that. And and God gives us this gift in a world that's inundated with sexual immorality and every day we're inundated with it. One in this manner, another in that. But I say, verse eight, to the unmarried, if you can remain that way, do so. But if you can't exercise self-control, which most people in the room can't, God says it's better to marry than to burn. And I, I, and I, and, and I, I love that, that Paul said, and, and I'll finish with this. I love that Paul said, now, um, nevertheless, verse two, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and each woman have her own husband. Look at this. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. You have a debt, you you owe her. Render that. Stop at the door and make it the best part of your day. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Don't deprive one another. Don't use the marriage bed as a gimmick and manipulation. This is a gift of expression of intimacy. Invest in it. Render what you owe. Be affectionate and kind. It's so special. It makes life so profound. I saw this picture of this elderly couple. My mom mom died in 2010. And this month they have been married, I think, 54 years. My dad loved my mom. My mom loved my dad. And I'll tell you real quick. My, you've heard most of the story, but this is the part that will emphasize the text. When I, when I walked into the hospital room after my mother had had surgery for lung cancer, that she would ultimately die from the surgery, not the cancer. I asked her a question. I said, Mom, what do you miss the most about Dad? Because Alzheimer's had... He had had it for 15 years. He said, it's real simple, honey. I I miss his humor. He was without exception the funniest man I'd ever met in my whole life. Funny, funny, funny man. So we fast forward and my mom is about two hours from death. And my dad hadn't been out of the home in quite a while. um, And we weren't sure whether or not to bring him into the hospital. Some of you have seen the video, but it's just fitting for this render the affection due. We weren't sure how dad was gonna respond to her because she had a fighter pilot mask on with forced oxygen. I've been by the bedside of, hundreds of people passed. This was the most profound. Uh, I'll walk you through it, we got it. So, and turn up the sound if you would, go ahead and run it. My dad walks in and starts kissing her mask. Fifty-four years of marriage. He knows, I haven't Hi. seen you. Where have you been? He's kissing her. He says, I love you. He doesn't even talk. He says, I love you. My mom says, Roy, I'm going to heaven. And my dad says, I'll race you. I'll, I'll race you. Race you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he, he shut it off. He, he just got confused and walked out after that. My dad, the Lord saw fit to allow my mom to see my dad's humor. And I got to witness my dad rendered to my mother the affection due. My dad didn't know the Lord much of his life, but he was a, a wonderful husband. Um, and the way they did it, as a Navy family, and, and every two years having to move, uh, they'd have cocktail hours. Then you guys go, what? Are you already, how are we closing with that? Uh, vodka martini, olives, dirty, extra olive juice. I knew that because I had to make them. And we were not allowed to come into the living room until they'd had two. And, and by penalty of death, um, because that was they were gonna they were talking. They would go through everything, whatever they had to deal with, ups and downs of life, and the challenges and the struggles. Uh, but but they, they they spent time in sincerity and in truth, and and they were affectionate, and uh, they they had a love there fifty four years that even though his mind was completely gone, the love for this woman pierced through the ruptured mind that remained to cause his heart to beat. And he just immediately responded by kissing her. He couldn't stop and say, I love you. He didn't even know my name. He didn't know where he was. God gave us that. Don't screw it up. Don't get legalistic, but protect it in sincerity and in truth and model it for your kids. Let them see. Because the boys would always look at me as their hero, and they're going to learn how to treat a woman by the way you treat their mom. And your girls think you're bigger than life, and they want to marry a man just like you, and they want to be treated the way you treat their mom. And things are caught, not taught. And that's how, you, that's how you change a culture, is you start with a family. And, and we have the power with the God who has delivered us and now given us this gift. And may God bless you and strengthen you to use it wisely for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <music>